The reading is from 1 Peter, starting at verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it is not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, for those who don't know me, I'm Kirsty. And I'm married to our lovely vicar, Pads. (laughs) If you want to follow me in your Bibles or keep your finger in the page, because I'm going to sort of shoot around the place a little bit, it's actually on uh, page 1,217. Well, 32 years ago, precisely, almost to the day, Pads made a life-changing decision. And he chose me to be his wife. However, the first time he asked me to marry him, I was so frightened of commitment, I said, no thanks. (laughs) In fact, I told him I was never, ever going to get married. Thankfully, he asked me again a year later. And it must have been love because I said yes. Hopefully, he has no regrets. As I read this evening's passage, I was very struck by the words in verse 20. Jesus was chosen before the creation of the world. He was chosen to die for us, to redeem us with his precious blood. I wonder if he had a choice. Maybe he has some regrets. So I want to explore this theme of being chosen and the choices that we make. Jesus in this passage is described as a lamb without blemish or defect. In other words, he was perfect. 
He never sinned, and he was chosen before the creation of the world to die for us and to be raised again to new life so that we too could have new life in him. There's that famous verse, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So God chose Jesus, his only Son, to die for the whole world, because he loves us so much. And he had this amazing plan to restore us back into an intimate relationship with himself. A relationship that had been broken by sin and was now being restored through the precious blood of his son. I have a question for you. How long has the person who loves you the most loved you? So how long has the person who loves you the most loved you? Good answer, Steve. The longest recorded marriage in the Guinness Book of Records, for your information, is 86 years. But as Steve quite rightly said... God chose Jesus to die for us before the world began. So how long has he loved us? A long, long time. So why did Jesus agree to die for us? John 14 says, Jesus talking to his disciples says that the world must learn that he loves the Father And does exactly what his father has commanded him to do. It's this relationship of love between the father and the son. Which is expressed in obedience and sacrifice. That redeems everyone who puts their faith in Jesus. And it is that same relationship of love that sustains Jesus as he goes to the cross. Did he have a choice? I find it deeply reassuring that Jesus asked the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. He identifies with our humanity, experiencing intense pain and sorrow and asking if he has a choice to avoid the terrible suffering that lay on the path ahead. And worse of all, the separation from the Father who he loved so dearly. While Jesus, who had no sin, was made sin for us. Thankfully for us, Jesus is obedient to the Father and says, not my will, but your will be done. So Jesus was chosen before the creation of the world to redeem us by his precious blood. And he made a choice. He surrendered his life. The New Living Translation says in John that Jesus says, No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. 
we too were chosen. We were chosen before the creation of the world. We were chosen to be holy, for this is the Father's will. Ephesians 1 says, We were chosen in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. And our passage tonight says, Be holy because I am holy. As Christians, we are born to look like our Heavenly Father. The great Victorian bishop J.C. Ryle says, Holiness is the habit of being of one mind with God, agreeing with his judgment, hating what he hates, loving what he loves, and measuring everything in the world by the standard of his word. So what exactly are we chosen to do? In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, the message translation says, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ, he had his eye on us. He had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose, he is working out in everything and in everyone. Jesus himself says to his disciples in John You did not choose me, but I chose you. I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So what does that fruit look like in our lives? I heard a great uh, testimony recently. Jill, who is probably about my age, I hope I don't do a disservice to her there. She was seven years old when she was taken to a talk in her church about Papua New Guinea. At the end of the talk, the speaker prayed and he asked God to lay it on people's hearts if they felt called to go to Papua New Guinea on mission. He specifically said to preach the gospel. The speaker then invited people to come up in response to his call. And this little girl of seven, she got up and she went up to the front And he thanked her, and then he waited to see if anyone else was going to respond. No one else did. And then this little girl, Jill, said, I want to go to Papua New Guinea. So he prayed, if it was the father's will, that when she was grown up, she would get an opportunity to go to Papua New Guinea. She grew up. She completely forgot this whole episode, and she embarked on a marketing and sales career. And it was only a few years ago that she was given an opportunity to go on mission to Papua New Guinea, by which time she was an extremely good preacher. So she went. And in fact, she's about to go again. So Jill was seven years old when God sowed that seed in her heart. And she chose to go to Papua New Guinea. We are faced with choices almost every day. Some choices are much bigger and more life-changing than others. The good news is we can choose what we want to do. God gives each one of us free will and invites us to follow him, but he doesn't make us follow him. So why should we follow Jesus? Why should we choose to follow him? 
So if we go back to the beginning of 1 Peter chapter 1, we read in verse 3 that God in his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for us. What an incredible promise that is. Sounds too good to refuse. From my own experience, choosing to follow Jesus was actually the moment I fell in love with him. And so it was much more than just a great promise. It was love and it totally changed my life. Romans 5 says, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And it is this love that sustains us and compels us to follow Christ. Just as well, because if you move down to verse 6, it says, For a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These trials can be very challenging. I speak from a little experience. I used to have another love, and I have brought a picture of him with me. This was my other love, and his name is Cracker. And I loved him very, very much indeed. And we actually bought him, this beautiful pony, for our daughter Kylie. And after we'd had him 13 years, Kylie left home. I was left with the pony. And he became everything to me. I used to wake up thinking of him in the morning and I used to charge up to the farm and want to groom him and ride him. I even bought a saddle that was um, big enough for me because he really was a bit small for me. And I just absolutely adored this pony. I had um, a very challenging prayer partner. And one day she said to me, I think maybe Cracker, the pony is getting in the way of your relationship with God and what he might be asking you to do. I decided I didn't want to pray with her anymore. (laughs) She had hit the nail on the head, but I didn't want to hear it. Pads gently uh, suggested the same thing a couple of years later, and he nearly got his head bitten off, so he decided to keep quiet, just keep praying. It was several years after that when I felt God say to me, it's time to let go of Cracker. And at that point, I chose to obey. He had a perfect plan for Cracker, and he had a perfect plan for me. But I had to choose to let go of him and trust him. Making the right choices can be hard. They involve listening being obedient, listening to the Holy Spirit as he guides us and trusting that God knows best, even when we think he doesn't. So back to our passage, picking it up at verse 13. We're told to keep our minds alert and fully sober, to be obedient and not conform to our old evil desires. So I wonder what keeps pulling us back to those old evil desires. Don't worry, I'm not going to suggest we uh, publicly confess, although it can be very liberating. 
But I would encourage you to share with a trusted friend, to make yourself accountable, and to pray for one another, so that with God's help, you can be holy in all you do. Verse 17 goes on to say, live out your time here as foreigners with reverent fear. Unfortunately for most of us, that doesn't mean moving abroad to a warmer climate. Philip Greenslade writes that the charter for Israel as the people of God was be holy because I am holy. Holiness is what makes God, God. God is, he's set apart, he's other, he's, he's different. And we too are chosen to be holy, to be set apart, to be different in order that our lives point people towards God. Developing this holiness of character is forged in the choices we make every day and in our relationships and as we go to work, in our marriages, with our parents, with our friends, our neighbours, and only occasionally by moving abroad. But what about living out our time here in reverent fear? I've really struggled with this reverent fear. Maybe because I have a tendency to see God as as God almighty rather than God almighty, which is a, a Malcolm Duncan quote. But maybe that is a choice I have made. I've poured over many commentaries to find a satisfactory understanding. And again, I'm back to Bishop Ryle's description. And this really resonated with me. He describes reverent fear as the fear of a child who wishes to live and move as if they were always before their father's face because they love their father. So I'll just repeat that. It's the fear of a child who wishes to live and move as if they were always before their father's face because they love their father. Verse 22 says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. As we choose to obey the truth of God's word, our love grows and our relationships deepen. I found a lovely quote. It says, A holy church is an attentive church which translates the word into discipleship. So verse 23 tells us we have been born again not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. This seed of God's word is revealed by the Holy Spirit who lives in each one of us. He's planted his seed in us in order to bear much fruit, fruit that will last. So what seed has God planted in you that has yet to come to fruition? Are you (coughs) fearful, maybe, like I was, of commitment or failure? Are you struggling to let go of something that brings you comfort but stands in the way of your relationship with God? 
Maybe the seed of God's word was planted many, many years ago and is still waiting to spring forth. One of my heroes is Nelson Mandela, and I believe God sowed a seed in his heart for freedom, for justice, for racial equality in South Africa. I believe he was chosen to deliver that nation from the oppression of apartheid. He made some very tough choices, and he spent 27 years in prison (coughs) before the seed that was sown finally came to bear fruit. And I will finish with a story about Mandela. Apparently, the prison chaplain bought him communion in his cell one day, and Mandela turned to the prison officer who was standing on the door and said, Hey, boy, are you a Christian? And the guard, who represented the oppressive apartheid regime, said, of course I'm a Christian. So Mandela invited him to join them in Holy Communion. And I think that's such a great picture of the foretaste of what was to come and the power of the redemptive blood of Jesus. And as God's people, we are chosen to be holy and to bear much fruit. So Mandela was chosen to deliver a nation from the oppression of apartheid. Jill, who I spoke about earlier, was chosen to preach the gospel in Papua New Guinea. I was chosen to marry pads, and look where that's got me. (laughs) (laughs) So what has God chosen you to do?